Welcome to Zero Downtime, the new podcast brought to you by DCD's editorial team in partnership with Vertiv, the world's leading critical infrastructure provider. Hi, thank you for joining us for episode two of DCD Zero Downtime. I'm Claire Fletcher, DCD's partner content editor, and in this episode, global editor and resident DCD legend Peter Judge discusses the move to sustainable digital infrastructure with Matt Schulz of the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Alliance. We delve into some of the burning issues surrounding this topic, quite literally, and explore some of the actions we can take to help ensure data and sustainability moves beyond just buzzwords and greenwashing to real progress and tangible change. But before we dive in, a word from our sponsors at Vertiv. Vertiv has kept the world's leading businesses connected for more than 50 years. We build, deliver, and support critical infrastructure that's available, sustainable, and future-ready. Visit us at vertiv.com and see what we can do for you. Welcome to the DCD uh, Zero Downtime podcast. Um, for this episode, I'm talking to Max Schultzer, who is um, with the Sustainable Digital Infrastructure Alliance. So first of all, tell us a little about yourself and about the Alliance. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, Peter. I really enjoy talking to you. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, the Alliance, yeah, in a nutshell, created in 2019 a, a non-profit organization dedicated to creating sustainable digital infrastructure. And uh, I always like to say sustainability is about balancing economics, the environment and society and not just green as it's often uh, confused. We released our roadmap about one and a half years ago on what needs to happen to create that sustainable digital infrastructure. If you don't know it, uh, it's on our website. I highly recommend checking it out. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I back up that recommendation. It is an interesting roadmap. Um, uh, DCD has been covering um, the uh, moves towards sustainable digital infrastructure for a while. Um, and we've seen a few um, uh, sort of industry bodies set up to try and urge this change to happen is there anything different about the sdia that we should know about that makes you uh, a significant body to watch uh, that's a great question thank you peter i think what makes us unique is that we are not an industry um, association we are what we have coined as a, as a change agent right so so we don't represent a single industry we represent everybody who builds um, and maintains um, digital infrastructure but also who uses it and we bring everybody together to the to the table and we say, look, what do we need to do together right now? And uh, at, at, in that discussion, we only represent one interest, and that's the interest of our roadmap and, and making progress um, on that roadmap. So I think that that makes us a bit unique. We're not defending an industry. We're not lobbying for an industry. We're lobbying for change and we're advancing change. And I think that that puts us, at, again, a bit at a unique place uh, right now. Mm hmm. And with a particularly European perspective. Yeah, at the moment, it's it's still European. But um, as we always said, it's more a, um, a resource constraint on our side than an ambition constraint. We are, we are of course, the, the digital economy is global and the SDA will eventually also be a global organization. Okay. And um, we had a conversation recently about heat reuse that um, 
I, th- I thought was a, uh, might be a good place to start, unless you think there are other more significant areas uh, that data centres really ought to be getting into before they get uh, to that stage. I, I think uh, to, to put in that joke that has to come when you say that, uh, heat is a hot topic right now, so happy to start mm. with that. <laughs> Thank you. And the jokes can only get better from here on. <laughs> uh, I hope so. <laughs> yes. So, yes, I mean, it, it just seems that um, heat reuse has um, seen is um, a hot topic. It's a topic that a lot of people are talking about, but um, has always seemed to me to be something where um, the the physics seem to be against it being a really important thing um the uh the heat that data centers give off is normally in the form of hot air or even warm air and it's very difficult to get that energy back to reuse it even if you happen to be uh lucky enough to live in um a a place where there is a district heating system to offer it to i mean it seems to me that um, in some ways uh data centers are sort of offering something free that's not very valuable um, and which they hope will make themselves look so good that people will stop get off their back and stop pressurizing them to change their ways is that a, is that a bad way to characterize the way heat reuse is in the data center world at the moment yeah i think it you're you're, you're pretty spot on I, I think it's currently treated as something that oh, we have to do because the regulator wants us to do it or in order to get this permit, well, these days I have to do it. But, and then there's, so to say, the liquid cooling community that keeps urging, like, look, with our technology can be easier and better, but it doesn't change the fact that, let's say, nobody's really interested in the first place, um, especially on the the operator side. Now, there is the argument to be made that decarbonizing our heating systems is actually the biggest challenge in the energy system. So introducing renewables is one uh, topic. But then let's say if you look at London, getting rid of gas boilers in everybody's house and replacing that with something else um, is not going to be easy. And the same goes for for coal-fired power plants. Most of them are um, thermal and power plants. So so they actually also make a lot of the district heating that that we use it, for example, in Germany or in the Netherlands. And getting... Getting other heat sources will be incredibly important, right? We we cannot just use all the renewable energy to make electricity uh, to, to to make heat from electricity. Um, we obviously want that electricity to run data centers, right? So the heat has to come from somewhere, and I think a lot of this is about making it economically viable. Of course, the the, the, ten, the temperature of the heat is low. Investing in a heat pump for a data center makes no sense because if they if they give it away for free. How do you refinance the capital investment in the heat pump if the resulting product is free? Right? If I put that in a spreadsheet, that doesn't look so nice. So I think we need to move away from this idea of let's give away the heat for free at low temperatures and rather say, okay, what would it cost to improve the quality of the heat? And how do I pass on those costs to somebody who's willing to pay for that? And then we can have a completely different discussion. But at the moment, it's it's more an annoyance, I think, than we're having a productive discussion on how to increase the value of that heat, how to get money for that heat, and how to finance the investment in the necessary infrastructure to improve the quality of the heat. Mm-hmm. So 
that is um, for a data center engineer who really doesn't care about heat. Um, that's slightly um, counterintuitive. Um, nobody wants this resource, so let's start charging money for it, and then they will want it. Does that is is that how it works? Well, if 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 we change perspective a little bit, mm -hmm. right? So, so let's try to look at it. Uh, our favorite example, and you mentioned it before, is, is the district heating grid. Right. Mm -hmm. So try to imagine yourself being not a data center engineer, but now you're a district heating engineer and you're trying to plan your district heating system and you're looking around, you're, you're looking for different heat sources. And there is a heat source, which is the data center from, from the district heating perspective that says, I can give heat at 25 degrees Celsius. Don't ask me for any availability guarantees. It's free, but really don't ask me to put any effort into it. Of course, I'm not going to consider that heat source if I'm a district heating engineer. Obviously, this is not interesting. But let's say the data center would change a bit and it would say, well, you know what? I, I can make, I can increase the temperature of the heat for you. Um, I can deliver, let's say, 40 degrees Celsius. Um, it will cost you this. And if you pay a little bit more, I can even give you a 15-year guarantee that I deliver this because you're paying enough for me to make investments into additional redundant infrastructure. Um, Now that would, from a district heating systems perspective, look a lot nicer. And then I might be more interested and more the whole conversation might be more productive um, instead of just saying, you know, here it is for free, but again, don't ask me any questions. Don't expect me to deliver it reliably. Um, I'm not interested in this to begin with, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's really how to get on a productive level. Let's, let's put it like this. Mm. So if you're... Give, offering a 15-year contract for the heat you're producing, then at some level you're um, committing that if in the extremely unlikely event that demand for data centers goes down or data centers completely stop producing energy, you'd, you would be in a position of having to make, make heat. Yes, uh, absolutely, yeah, you would. Mm -hmm. Which... Um, I yeah. Yes, which is quite, quite um, uh, a change in mindset. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, let's look at the economics. Let's say of the of the on on the back of an envelope for a minute. Let's say I pay a hundred euros per megawatt hour for electricity, and let's say I can recover ninety nine percent of that electricity in heat, or let's say just ninety percent, right? Mm -hmm. And I get fifty. I, I I price my heat at fifty euros uh, per megawatt hour. That also finances the cost of the heat pump and the electricity that goes into that. Um, so so. As long, and now I sign a 15-year contract, right, for these 50 euros per megawatt hour. That means I'm also getting a 50 euro discount on my electricity, basically, guaranteed mm -hmm. for 15 years, right? So why not? And and yes, if I if I take my data center down, then I have to actually build a bigger heat pump there and basically leave the plot with a gigantic heat pump, which if you look at Berlin, for example, there's a 150 megawatt heat pump already standing there with delivering heat. It's not uncommon. It's just a, basically a district heating plant then instead of a data center. And mm -hmm. I still have a guaranteed price, which means I still make a good amount of money even without the data center. So mm -hmm. I think looking at pure economics, this is a great idea. Mm. And the, the point you made earlier that um, we need to decarbonize our heating, you know, here in the UK, 85% of homes are heated by burning gas um, and they need to switch over to electricity. Um, and it re as you say, it really doesn't make sense to make electricity and then 
turn it into heat when you could actually do something with that electricity and still get exactly the same amount of heat out of it. So, you know, run the electricity through a data center first and then use the heat. It's good. So it does make sense. It's just um, it has to be done on uh, an economic perspective. Um, something about the economics of, um, of of district heating that we've sort of touched on a little earlier. Um, there seems to be quite a trend um, in cities or metropolitan areas that uh, have a high concentration of data centres, have um, an electricity grid that's maybe reaching its capacity or uh, renewable targets that will be hard to get if the data centres use all the renewable energy. Um, Denmark, Amsterdam, Frankfurt, um, they, they, they've all... Uh, and, and and Norway as well. Um, they they've all said um, that uh, data centres may have to be a little constrained, and in those constraints, as you mentioned, is the um, the possibility of them having to uh, get onto district heating. I don't think anybody's yet been able to make it mandatory to um, reuse your heat because there's always. Um, uh, individual um, uh, situation. The, the, the circumstances vary from data centre to data centre. You can't guarantee it will always be economically viable. But um, is, is, is that going to be a thing? How, how, how um, close are we going to get to data centres being forced to reuse their heat? I, I think so, especially... So I think we're, we're getting closer to, to being, so to say, to the more forceful um, mm-hmm. approach because... If you look at the agendas of all cities, of all countries, of, of, of Europe, but even the US, is there is first energy efficiency, which is important. But to be honest, a modern data center facility has reached probably peak efficiency capacity. At, if, if it's at 1.3, 1.4, even 1.2 PUE, I don't think it gets more efficient than that. Um, so if we acknowledge this, then we're talking just about energy movements. And if you if you look at the city of Frankfurt, for example, or, or Amsterdam, when when you have energy people seeing that energy is moving into a facility, but then also moving out, they they simply will say, "Well, we cannot afford to waste it. We we are not in a in a position as a society to waste energy." And so, I think this will come. I think it's already happening. I think what's lacking is, a, so to say, a, a standardized or a, a a common approach to it. And I think um, that with especially with our work in the SDA, that we are trying to now pioneer such a common approach. Um, so that all governments can ask for the same thing. I think that's also fair towards the data centers that, who are mostly international players that in every country have the same requirement. I think that's also a bit confusing at the moment that every municipality, every city wants a different version of the same thing. And I think if we can unify that a bit, um, it will be good for, for all players involved and, and also for the, um, for the regional governments who often mm-hmm. don't know what to ask for, right? Mm-hmm. And data center people are intelligent people, and um, they are um, working to head off the possibility of um, regulations by making their own uh, plans, like in the um, the carbon neutral data center pact that uh, European service providers uh, announced, which I think includes heat reuse. Yeah, I think so. I, I think what what we are never. I mean, every every data center now talks about heat reuse, at least the, the ones that I know. I, I, here in Amsterdam, we have a lot of facilities that say they're, what is it, heat reuse ready? 
mm-hmm. um, which I think means there's a pipe somewhere coming out of the data center. And I don't think I've never held my finger in it to see if the water's warm that comes out. Um, but I think what we're lacking is really a common framework on what does it actually mean to, to do heat recovery, right? What temperature is acceptable? What price points are acceptable? What is expected of the data center to do? Um, mm-hmm. And I think as long as we don't have that, it's very easy to say, well, well, I'm heat recovery ready. Uh, as long as somebody builds a pipe to my data center, I, I can inject some warm water into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the expectations are not clear. Yes. I mean, that does make it sound like it's someone else's problem. We're all ready to uh, give our heat or even sell our heat for reuse. Um, but um, the governments or the utilities uh, haven't built the district heating system, so it's their fault, not ours. Is that is that what's going on? <laughs> yes, I, I, I think in a, in a lot of ways that's currently the strategy. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I looping it back to the conversation we had earlier, it's how am I going to make an economic decision to put a pipe towards a data center if what I get from the data center is non-reliable, free, low-grade heat? Of course, that's very unattractive. And I don't, I don't think the data centers do this on purpose, but I just want to urge everybody to say, look, just make some calculations, see how much it would cost you to, to, to enhance the, the quality of the heat and, and what it would take you to, to offer a 15-year contract and put it out there and the pipe will come because mm-hmm. the, the price will still be lower than the current gas price. So burning gas right now is, is not going to be as attractive as a data center using a heat pump and their input heat. Um, and then having a gigantic heat buffer, for example, and running basically the heat pump only when power prices are low. So when renewable energy is available, you run the heat pump, you you inject it into the tank, uh, you increase the quality of the heat, and you sell it at a continuous pace and a continuous price to a, to, to an off-taker, such as a, a heating grid. And you have a very competitive heat generation product um, that will make everybody come and build a pipe to you. That's not a problem, but you have to price it so people can make their own economic assessments. Mm-hmm. Are we taking a slightly narrow perspective here by talking about heat reuse when um, in large parts of the world um, there's very little demand for heat because the climate is hot? Yeah, you, yes, in, in a way we are. But the, I would say the majority of cutting-edge data centers, so the, the high-efficiency facilities, are in Western in the Western world, so North America or Northern Europe. Um, I would I would say that that's true. And the next generation of sort of say improving the energy u- utilization efficiency of of data centers is heat recovery, especially for those who are already at PUEs of 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3, 1. 1.4. Um, there is just nothing beyond that. They need to either either reduce the total power consumption, of course or do something with the exergy, the energy that comes out of the um, the data center. I think for the rest of the world, um, flexibility is a lot more important. So so being able to, um, for example, to not run a cooling system and have a big cooling storage system and, and be able to respond to power that's not as reliably available as in, in, uh, in Europe or in North America, I think is a lot more important than heat reuse at this point. Um, because heat reuse really is the is the is the the level up for somebody who's already at a very high level. Right. So if you're in uh, a relatively hot climate with um, 
but the grid is maybe not so reliable. You might be able to use your heat to, in some way, make up for the reliability of the grid. Yeah, or just the seasonality, right? So, so think about Singapore, think about Africa, think think about a country or a place like Dubai. Um, you have an amazing amount of solar available, obviously, right? So, so you have relative all day you can harvest solar energy, okay? But then the sun goes down at night. Um, then buffer storage, either either of, of batteries, which yeah, still I know economically hard, uh, or at least of the for the cooling system, so that I can at night ramp down my my total power draw. I think would be I just make, it's smart from a business perspective, but it's also really would help integrate more renewable energy um, mm -hmm. into these systems. Mm -hmm. How about I mean, back to a, somewhere with a, normally a cold climate, uh, the UK. I'm thinking um, we have almost no um, district heating, heat reuse. Um, it's hard to imagine um, it, it ever happening, even in a place where there's a, lo a lot of heat being uh, generated, like Slough. It's, I mean, um, what, what's, what's the answer to getting things done here? Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting. I mean, uh, the city of London and and or the government of London, I'm sure, is also thinking about how to solve this, because fundamentally, there's there's only two things, uh, two two real viable solutions, which is to to replace the gas boilers or three, sorry, to replace the gas in your pipes with hydrogen, which is not going to happen 100% due to some uh, security concerns. So that option is difficult. Replacing the gas boilers with heat pumps. It's difficult because you don't have enough electrical power available in London either. Um, and then district heating kind of remains as the most logical, most efficient solution. But uh, yeah, digging digging up the streets um, in, a, in a city like London, I think is, is going to be tricky. Um, so I, I don't have the golden answer. I, I do think that if I look at Slough, at the density of data centers, right, not using this, this heat that is generated there of, of data centers, they're not that are literally next to each other, right? Or at least have a district cooling system or something like this, feels a bit backwards to me. And and, and that's, we, we often talk about a single data center, but let's let's be honest, right? If I look at Amsterdam at the university campus, if I look at, um, at Frankfurt, at London, data centers aggregate in the same region. It's like, there's a big fiber connectivity. Okay, let's all put our data centers there. So we're always talking about more than one facility that could deliver heat in the same um, area. So it's always much bigger than you know 10 megawatts or 20 megawatts. It's we're always talking about an aggregate. Um, and if you look at it like this, it becomes even more, let's say, important to consider how to make it work because mm -hmm. there's so much energy there that that could be transported to London. Um, and that could be uh, distributed at least into into um, uh, yeah bigger homes, for example. Um, mm. That it just it's just silly to not do it. Mm. But I mean, uh, transporting that heat that's really uh, at that much of a low temperature. When you, it, does it somehow it, 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 are the pipes actually good enough to transport um, heat at that temperature and do it uh, sustainably? I mean, profitably. No. Now, now uh, it's 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 that time again, Peter, where where you and I become basically district heating engineers, right? So mm -hmm. so we are now going to tell um, what works and what doesn't. I I I, I will answer the question, but I, I just really want to point out that there's people have who have solved these problems, right? 
the people that build these district heating networks, they can transport heat at low temperatures with very little loss, right? The piping piping systems so that exist and the, the, it, it is all has been solved. And I, mm-hmm. I just want to say that it's not something that the data center necessarily needs to worry about. It is what other people are good at. Mm-hmm. And there's a variety within district heating. If you're if you're putting in one now, you're putting in a fourth generation district heating system, which is able to use uh, heat at a much lower temperature. And you know, the, a new district heating system maybe will be able to use data center heat much better than an old one, which is yes, potentially sure. potentially a benefit for countries and cities that haven't yet got them because they will get the best district heating systems. Yeah, I think the Danish people always like to us to say that those are like kind of like the Denmark uh, district heating grids. Um, <laughs> the the to be, I mean, to be honest, it these generation four networks they will be most likely the future, not for the entire district heating network because you still will have also high temperature um, systems. I'm very I'm very sure. I think. We, we talked about London before, right? Look at the Netherlands. I mean, it's the most densely populated country uh, in on, on, on the planet, I think, not just mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, and it is really hard also to dig up the streets here. And yet the Dutch government is really pushing forward to, to transform um, all the gas boilers in people's houses, which is the same as in the UK, um, into into district heating uh, users. Mm-hmm. And it, it, will, it will have to happen. Let's put it like this. It... There's no way you're going to run a city like London on heat pumps in every person's home because the electricity consumption of that is would basically require London to become one gigantic transformer station. <laughs> yes. That, that's not very sexy. Yeah. 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 Okay. So going back into data centers, um, the, the I don't want to, to give the impression that SDIA is just all about heat pumps. You have this huge roadmap. What are the... Um, uh, main headlines and things we should be looking at that maybe we're not so aware of um, within that. Yeah, I, I sometimes feel like this: the the breadth of our activities is what makes it so hard to understand what we do. Um, but but let's I I'll, I'll highlight three things I think that that are really interesting right now. Um, the the first one is making the environmental footprint of software visible. Right, so a data center doesn't exist if there is no software running on it. Unfortunately though, most software these days is completely, or most applications, especially that run on a server, are unaware of their own electricity consumption or um, the electricity consumption of the surrounding data center. And even less, does the user know, like we are recording this podcast right now, I don't know how much this application is consuming in terms of data center power draw while we're running it. I, I don't know. And I, I also know it's very hard to measure from the software. So so that's one thing we're working on. So the, the environmental mm-hmm. footprint of software. Um, and um, yeah, we're very excited about that. And we're including also data center people to make sure that the data that we have is, is correct. I think that's mm-hmm. important. Excellent. Um, that's, a, second... that's, a, that's a big blind spot because PUE just ignores completely what is done on the servers. So software doesn't come into it. Yeah. Exactly. It is really connecting software again with the physical world after virtualization and everything we've done in software infrastructure is basically about forgetting about the physical infrastructure. Now we're gluing it back together, mm-hmm. which is uh, quite counterproductive, uh, counterintuitive if you talk to software mm. people. Yeah. Um, I, and we have some uh, government-backed research projects around this, so it's, it's very exciting. Um, 
on the heat topic, I, I do not want to let it go until it's finished. So, so we are building these kind of reference frameworks to calculate the economics of heat at different quality levels and, and trying to get data centers to publish the same price list for the heat, um, make it a bit more consistent. So I do think that's, that's important. Um, and the third one is, of course, that we ultimately believe in, and it's always very provocative, is that if it continues like this, there will be very few co-location and data center operators left that are very large. And we already see this massive consolidation in cloud. Um, and, and we have always been advocating for a sustainable cloud infrastructure model, which is based on regional um, actors. In, other, in really simple terms, we want more cloud providers providing cloud infrastructure, not cloud services, um, on a local level that compete with each other. Um, and we, we believe that's really, really important also to ensure the competitiveness of, of Europe or, or the US is to have, let's say, not just three or four or five um, large um, cloud operators um, providing all of the digital infrastructure um, as, as one unit. That does not feel intuitively right and economically sustainable. Mm -hmm. So those are the three big topics, I would say, that we're um, focused on right now. Right. Okay, I think we may need to come back to that last one because it, that sounds a, a massive one to unpack at some point in the future, maybe a separate conversation. But I'm just thinking, um, we've heard for so many so long that consolidation is gives you the economies of scale, um, and you know, from an economical. For, so yes, um, it, it turns out that's not such a good idea in the long term. Well. To be really fair, and I'm, I will share a picture with, with you, maybe that we can include after this that we made a long time ago. Actually, the, the, the data center sector has happened, is, is, is moving through the same exact phases as, and, and all, all with that, the cloud providers, um, as the energy sector, right? And what's funny is, of course, consolidation also happened in the energy sector. That's not a problem. But eventually what happened in the energy sector, it got unbundled which means that now we have an energy market. So if I build a power plant, I can sell power to that market. doesn't matter if anybody's buying it, right? Um, mm -hmm. And think about the same for, for, so to say, digital resources, so, so compute, storage, and memory, or even um, just simple space. If anybody could build a data center and sell to a market, and the market signals you the price based on demand and supply, um, that is probably the next step that we're going to get to in, in, in the cloud and, 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 and data center infrastructure uh, because that is the same thing that happened in the energy sector, mm. unbundling. Right. So an unbundling will mean an end to the... Uh, it'll change the um, monopoly of AWS or any other uh, large provider somehow. Yeah, I think maybe the more correct word actually is liberalization. Um, so, mm -hmm. so creating free markets. And it, yes, it would, if you think about it very simply, it would unglue the cloud service from the underlying resources. So, let's say a, a database as a service on AWS is built on actually EC2 and AWS S3 and VPC. So, it's built on abstract compute, storage, and network capacity. And that is vertically integrated. So I cannot use a database from AWS without also using their resources, their infrastructure. And if I unbundle that, then I could use an AWS database with resources and infrastructure coming from another third-party provider, whoever offers it at the most competitive price. And that would be amazing also in terms of 
cost development of, of cloud infrastructure and cloud services. And it would simply create a more competitive market that's better for everybody. Okay. Um, right. That's, that sounds like a, an issue which is going to uh, become more interesting as it develops. Um, so um, I think I just want to say thank you very much for talking to me, Max. I know we're going to talk again in future. Um, and um, all these issues are going to come up over and over again uh, for DCD in the podcast, on the website, and at our events where you're a regular speaker, I understand. Um, yes, I'm very happy. And I, I also yes. want to say, Peter, I really enjoy talking to you. I think it's, it's <laughs> great how you pull out these topics out of everybody's nose um, and you moderate the discussion across the market. I think it's you're doing a great job and a very necessary one. Right. Thank you. And we can only do that for the quality of our readers and the community of listeners. Um, so I hope that people who have been listening to this podcast, if you disagree with it, if you agree with it, if you think there are other things we should be talking about, um, uh, contact Claire, contact me, contact Sebastian, contact anybody at DCD, and uh, uh, we, we will um, enjoy uh, pulling apart your ideas and finding out what, what's going to shape the future generations of digital infrastructure. Right. Thank you, Max Schultz, and uh, I will look forward to future podcasts with you and others. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for that, Peter. And of course, a huge thank you to Max for sharing his insight. When it comes to sustainability, in order to actually make a difference, fundamentally, we need people to care. As an industry, we need to stop blowing hot air and shift our mindset from sustainability as a competitive advantage to sustainability as a collaborative effort for the greater good. Luckily, we have organisations like the SDIA leading the charge and not only lobbying for, but advancing real change. But that's it for episode two. Thanks again for listening and to our sponsors at Verdict for making it happen. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever phrasing your particular podcast platform uses. And if you have any feedback, you can drop us an email at zero downtime at datacenterdynamics.com. Bye for now. Sustainability is no longer a nice to have. It's a priority. Vertiv Power, cooling and IT management solutions for critical infrastructure are designed to reduce the use of energy, water, and space. From innovative liquid cooling to dynamic grid services, we work hand-in-hand -hand with customers to enable them to meet their data center sustainability goals. Visit us at vertiv.com and see what we can do for you.